Uh, turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, please, so that you'll be able to follow along as we uh, preach this morning. Choosing to disobey in any aspect of life can easily lead to the slippery slope that ends in disaster. Let me give you a couple of examples. It's quite a number of years ago now, but there was a young lady who was a U.S. Olympic athlete and medalist, very famous in fact. Her name is Marion Jones. But when they did their typical drug test, they discovered that she had traces of steroid use, a performance-enhancing drug in her, and her medals were taken away, and she came home in shame. Also a few years ago, there was a man named Ted Haggart, who was a preacher and spiritual leader here in the United States of America, in fact, was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, and lo and behold, it was discovered that he was living a double life. What he was professing in front of public was soon discovered to be something that was going on in his private life, and again, in disgrace, he was moved from his position of leadership and has never been restored to that. Now, we could go on and on with the list, but that's not the purpose of what we want to talk about today. But it simply illustrates that there are disasters that come our way when we choose to live in ways other than the way that God wants us to live. So I have a statement that I want you to remember uh, this morning as we go through this sermon together. Choose to disobey. Expect disaster. Okay, let me say it again. Choose to disobey. Expect disaster. Will you say it with me this third time? Let's say it. Choose to disobey. Expect disaster. That's exactly what we're going to discover happens in the text that is before us today. Now, we've already seen that Jonah is guilty of disobeying God and God's call on his life. Uh, We see that he's already on the slippery slide to disaster. And as we look at the parts of the story that we've already seen, we need to take inventory in our own lives and discover that there are actions that oftentimes we take, choices that we make that place us just around the corner from disaster. We're not sure what the disaster will look like. We're hoping that somehow God will miss us and that uh, nothing will happen. We do know this, that Jonah was AWOL. He was absent without leave, that he was running toward the city of Tarshish as far away as he could get from where he lived in what we know as Palestine today. He had gone to the Joppa port, to the Joppa harbor, to find a ship that was sailing to Tarshish. And it wasn't a cruise ship. It was just a good old-fashioned freighter that was going to leave Joppa and go as rapidly as possible, several weeks now, uh, from Joppa over uh, to uh, Tarshish. There was nothing glamorous about it. He was choosing a tough lifestyle because sea life was very difficult. But the frame of mind that he had allowed himself to get into, which is a frame of mind that many of us allow ourselves to get into, was bringing him now to the place 
where disaster was going to engulf him and there wasn't going to be a single thing that he could do about the disaster. Look on the screen or look in your Bibles with me and we'll read verses 4 through 6 to get us started. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's take a moment and look, if you will, please, to the Lord in prayer before we actually dig into the text. Dear Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Oh God, will you speak to us? May your word come alive to us as we look at this story, this historic story, to discover ways in which there are practical applications in our lives. Will you help those who are older, those who are middle-aged, those who are younger, even those who are children that are in our audience to see how they may be living a life similar to Jonah and that they may be facing disaster even though they didn't realize it and that they will repent and turn back to God before they are destroyed by the disaster, disaster that is most certainly coming. We pray these things now in your name. Amen. When you are AWOL, you can expect disaster to be part of your life. I want to say to you that when you are AWOL and disaster comes, that you can expect God to be involved in some way in that disaster. When you look at verse number 4, we discover that it says, Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, with the resulting fact that the ship was threatened. Those who were skilled seamen realized that they were in something that was not typical of what they would have faced, even though they were used to storms on the sea. And I want you to notice one word, because this word appears four times ultimately in our text and is very significant, the same Hebrew word. It says that God hurled a storm, hurled a great wind. And I like the fact that it says it this way, because in, in some of the other translations, it has the word that God threw it, or as we will see in some of the other instances, they threw something. And... While that is correct, it is a little larger than that. It's kind of like if you're watching the, uh, the baseball playoffs. Well, sorry for all the Cardinal fans. <laughs> but you still have someone in state that maybe stands a chance, although last night wasn't our night. But you see these dudes get out there on the, on the mound, and they wind up and they throw the baseball and it's over a hundred miles an hour. 
And what we say about those guys is they're not just pitchers, they're hurlers. And that's what God is in this situation. God isn't just standing there saying, well, I guess I better do something to get his attention. Can I say to you that when God chooses to get our attention, God chooses to get our attention really right in our face. And that's what he does in this situation. He hurls a storm that goes to the very location where Jonah and the ship are located. I have a suspicion. I think that the way the context is set up for us that there may have been other places not far away from this ship, not far away from Jonah, that were in perfect calm. And wherever this ship was going, there was going to be this storm. Because God was trying to get Jonah's attention. So he hurled it out there. Didn't take him three pitches to put them past the batter at 100 miles an hour either. It only took one. And it certainly got the attention of everybody who was involved. Can I say to you that based on Psalm 104 and verse 4, as we think about this storm that has come, we need to realize that the winds are, the psalmist says, the winds are God's messengers. And how I want you to look at this this morning is this. The mighty tempests and gales that come in our lives, we ought to realize are God's agents to get our attention, demonstrating his judgment against the sin that was Jonah's sin. And let me add, God never wastes any experiences that come our way. He uses them. He uses them for his purpose. And his purpose is that we might be drawn back from where we are to him. He uses them to shape us as individuals to become Christ-like in our experience. He uses them to reveal something about himself to us and about ourselves. How prone we are to believe that we are somehow independent from everything that happens around us, even believing for an instance that we are independent from God and that we can try to run from his presence to get away from him. A second thing that I want you to notice with me in the text in verse number 5 is that the disaster will cause great fear for those who are involved. Jonah isn't too concerned about things. In fact, we find out you know, so I'll tell you right now, even though it comes shortly after this, uh, these next set of statements that I'm going to make to you. Uh, Jonah was fa- fast asleep. No harm could come to him, at least so he thought. Whatever's going on and happening to other people is no concern to him because he's asleep. But here are these individuals who are on this ship, who are seeking to take this ship from uh, the Joppa port to Tarshish. They're hoping to be able to do it in a few weeks. They're hoping to be able to do it without incident. And now they find themselves in the middle of an incident, an incident that is greater than any of them they had ever faced before on the Mediterranean. And so what do we see? 
they're crying out to their gods. It seems that probably these individuals, uh, whom we might call pagans, they were not Jewish, had come from different places and uh, had different gods that they considered important to them, and uh, they were crying out to their gods. See, most of the inhabitants of that part of the world had three kinds of gods. They had personal gods, they had family gods, they had nationalistic gods. Their personal gods took care of the individual things that happened to them. Uh, Their family gods were the ones that their particular clan would worship. And their nationalistic gods were worshipped as the guardians and motivators of an entire nation, of the events that were going on around them. They never paid much attention to their gods most of the time. They're kind of like a lot of North Americans. But now they find themselves in a situation they know is bigger than life. And so they are crying out to their gods. Their fear caused them to take drastic action. In praying to their gods, they discovered that their prayers were futile, and so they took a further step. And if you look in the text, this is what it says. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Same word as the word before. God hurled a storm. Now they hurled the cargo. Now why were they taking this trip? They were taking this trip because they had a cash cargo that they would be paid for upon delivery. Why would they choose to throw it overboard? Had they taken leave of their senses? They realized that their cargo, as weighty as it was, would probably mean their demise more quickly. And so they grasp it and throw it overboard. But they had one other reason. Even as pagan individuals, their concern for life, for human life, theirs, and the life of Jonah who was on their ship, was greater than their concern to get paid for the cargo that was on board. The only one on board that ship who had no concern at all was the believer the one who is the follower of God. And let me say to you that this is one of the great challenges that we have in America today. This is one of the great challenges we have in churches, like our own right here, is the fact that we have people who are trying to run from the presence of God. They are doing their own thing, never realizing that in the callousness and carelessness, they do not have care for those who are in danger around them. Finally, it occurs to somebody, they're all there, but their paying customer isn't. Where is he? And we are told in the text that Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He was oblivious to the troubles that he was causing, and he didn't even care at this point in time. I want you to notice That as he was asleep, he was asleep to God's call. As he was asleep, he was asleep to the danger that faced the sailors and that faced him. As he was asleep, he was asleep to the challenge of the people of Nineveh who were lost and facing God's coming judgment. He was also asleep to his own carelessness. This dude is really asleep. 
He was fast asleep in a deep sleep because he was backslidden. Backsliding will always bring spiritual numbness. I want to say that again. Backsliding will always bring spiritual numbness. Now let me turn that around for a second because that's also true. If we discover that there is a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and they are numb to the things of God and to the people around them, you turn it around, you find out that the reason why is because they're backslidden. I'm not backslidden. Yeah, but you're careless and indifferent to the people around you. You are backslidden. Oh, Don, don't be so tough. Well, sorry for being so tough, but it's the truth. And what I read in the Bible is that you'll know the truth by the power of the Spirit of God, and the truth will set you free. Are you numb today? Is there a numbness that's in you a little bit today? If there is, then you need to wake up and realize it. We're coming to cold weather. I think we've arrived. Um, we're coming toward cold weather. And for me, there's a, really, there's a really critical thing that I have to remember and have to realize. My feet are consistently numb. Even when on the warmest day, they are numb. And as a result of that, I have to pay attention to the cold because I don't dare let my feet get frostbitten. If they do, I'm going to lose toes, I'm going to lose feet. Boy, that's going to put me into a bad place. But the reality is, if I am spiritually numb, there is something I can do about it. There's very little that I can do about my feet at this point in time except pay attention to the numbness. What I'm going to ask you to do is become aware of numbness if it's in your life this morning so that you can do what you need to do, which is to repent and run from it before disaster comes and takes you down. The third thing that I want you to notice in verse 6 is that disaster will cause many, many questions of the one who's gone AWOL. The captain asked him a series of questions. What are you doing sleeping? He's incredulous that Jonah could be there and asleep. He can't believe that Jonah could sleep through all that was going on. And he's wondering, what's wrong with Jonah that he's so careless? So let me put it to you this way. Did you know that this is also the way many people in our world around us look at us as Christians. What's wrong with you? I don't mean, why are you funny, ha-ha, because they think that we must have a, a brickload short uh, up here, you know, a little crazy to be Christians, but they also know what it is we're supposed to be like. And when we aren't like that, they can't understand. How can you be that careless? And Jonah was challenged by the uh, words of the, uh, uh, of the captain because the captain said to him, look, get up, call on your God, small g. And he says, perhaps, since none of ours have listened, perhaps yours will listen and, and give us a way out of this. And so in all of that, they don't stop there. He's placed others in danger, but now they're asking him, 
Who are you? Who are you anyway? And if you look in verse 9, and for the sake of, uh, for the sake of time, I won't read these verses. Please follow them in your Bible or follow them on the screen so that you can see what I'm talking about as we try to explain the text. They become very surprised at Jonah's answer because he says, uh, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Now on your screen you don't see it this way, but in your Bibles you'll see that the word Lord is all capital letters. Is that what you see? Is that what you see? Okay, thank you. That is Yahweh. That's Jehovah. He says, I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven. Now look, who made the sea and the dry land. That's interesting. Because you see, here are seafaring individuals. They know that there's a God who's in control of the sea. Now here's this dude that's sound asleep down there without a care in the world who's saying, God, Yahweh, is the one who created the sea. And I can imagine the shock that was there. Then why in the world aren't you praying to him to help us get out of this? He says, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who is the powerful creator who made the sea and the dry land. When Jonah said that he believed in God, when the sailors saw how he acted, they realized that these things were two different things. We have a word for that. <laughs> if, you went to see, if you went to see a psychiatrist, they might say you're schizophrenic. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> actually, I do know. Uh, but uh, the truth is, what they see is they see a man who is a hypocrite. Do you like hypocrites? Do you trust hypocrites? Do you follow hypocrites? Don't answer that one too quickly. Most of us say, no way, we want no part of it. And these men, they're, they're dependent now upon a hypocrite. What's he going to do? And they're exceedingly afraid, is what the text tells us. Do you realize that the way we live, oftentimes, listen, Christian, the way we live, whether we know it or not, creates terror in the masses? Oh, no, Don. I think much of the chaos that we see going on around us, I know that it's, it's the result of consequences to decisions that have been made, but when we haven't been salt, when we haven't been light, when we haven't been Christians the way we're supposed to be, when we've been hypocritical, we create the, the place in which God ends up hurling out the wind and it places them into disaster. And according to verses 11 through 16, we discover that people who are in danger, these people who are around us because we have not been living as we ought, they find themselves not knowing what to do. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And so they ask him, what are we supposed to do? Now what we discover twice in this next section 
something that's important to, I think, at least consider. As Jonah is going to begin to answer them, we are told that, verse 11, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. You're saying, yeah, I know some disasters come in my life, but if I wait long enough, it's going to pass. If I work harder, it will go away. We'll see that in a moment. Can I say something to you? It won't. It won't get better. Do you know why? Because it is God who hurled the storm. And he makes it more and more tempestuous to do what? To bring us back to himself. To cause us to realize that we are, as believers, answerable to him. He loves us too much to let us just keep on going the way we're going. Passively thinking that we can get by. So they say to Jonah, whose God is the God who controls the ocean, what are we supposed to do? And Jonah in verse 12 says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quieten down. They look at one another and say, not. We'll try and row to shore. And so now they start trying to row this ship to shore. And you know what happens? The Bible says, look at it on the, on your, in your Bible or on the screen. They couldn't get there. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It just keeps growing. Here are these godless people who have a person who purports to be a godly individual on their ship. And he is saying, in essence, kill me. Just throw me overboard. Let me drown. Everything will be okay. And they they say, we don't want to do that. You stinking hypocrite. You, you, You should never have done this. But we're not going to do that. We're going to try. But you know, ultimately, they came to the place where they realized that what Jonah was saying to them is what needed to happen. Now may I say this to you? Backsliders have only two options. If you're here today and you're cold and you're indifferent toward God, you have two options, only two. One of the two isn't to just simply remain where you are because it's not going to happen that way. Either you repent and return to God or you're going to harden your heart and run further into sin, further into disaster, with the result that you will will probably lose your life. So when Jonah advises them to do this, not only did they row and not get there, but verses 14 through 16 tells us that as they are considering what it is they are going to do, they prayed. Will you notice this time, In verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, all capitals. Before they called out to their gods, now they call out to Yahweh, the true God. And in crying out to God, they said, 
O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So what happened? Verse 15. You know it, but I want you to see it anyway. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Hmm. God hurled a storm. They hurled the wares into the ocean. Though it doesn't say it this way, it means this. Twice more, God hurls a greater storm on them. And now they hurl Jonah over the side of the ship. I don't think I'd like that experience. I wonder what Jonah was thinking as he was going from the side of the ship into the water. Oh, I know. God's going to send along a big fish to swallow me. Jonah didn't know that. Jonah had said to them, if you hurl me over the side, God will make the tempest go away. Jonah didn't know how quickly that would happen, although we are told in that very text where they hurled him over the side that the tempest went away right away. I can imagine Jonah thinking for a brief moment, well, if this is gone, let me try to swim to shore. Too far. It was beyond his human efforts to be able to get where he's going to go. He's going to drown. Unless God intervenes, he's going to drown. I can imagine him praying, though the text doesn't say this. God, you've got to do something. I'm your child. You've got to do something. And all of a sudden, he becomes aware of the fact that there's a big fish near him. Now, he's never encountered a big fish like this before. He doesn't know what this big fish is going to do until it gets close enough and he sees the choppers going open. He says, oh my, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get eaten by a fish. Can you imagine what he must have been thinking? I can imagine him praying, God, help me! And I can imagine God saying to him, I am. Sometimes the situations that we find ourselves in, the circumstances that come to us as a result of our hardened and indifferent hearts, when we cry out to God and say, help me, and he says, I am, we don't like the help he's providing. But just about then, do you suppose Jonah was in a place to bargain with God? Repentance is never a place where we bargain. Repentance is a place where we throw ourselves on the arms of God's mercy and trust him to do what is right. And sometimes what is right is we get delivered by a fish. And sometimes what is right is we get swallowed by a fish and that's the end of the story. Well, at least until we're before God. But we are in no position to bargain ourselves out of this. 
So what I've got to say to you is, you're not yet in the ocean. The tempest has maybe not yet come. There's still space in which to repent. We cannot bargain with God, but when we repent, at that point, at this point, at the moment we are in right now, God is able to deliver us, not without consequences, but from those devastating consequences that face us if we are refusing God. So look at verse 17 for a moment, and then we'll be done. And the Lord appointed. This was not just any fish that just happened to be there. I don't know whether there's ever been a fish before this one that was exactly like this fish, or a fish since then that has ever been exactly like this fish. It is highly possible, maybe even probable, that God created this one for this occasion. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now the chapter break comes at this point in time. We don't want it to stop. Unfortunately, you all know the rest of the story, so you can say, well, I can take this or leave this. You ought not to just take it or leave it. At this point, it ought to create in you a sense of God is allowing for us a one-week tension for us to stop and think about where we are, to stop and think about how God's hand is working in our circumstances, always with the purpose to bring us back to himself. And then to say, what do I need to do? What needs to change? If you're asleep this morning, if you've become drowsy and you've gone down into the sides of the ship hoping that this is going to be an easy passage, and friend, listen to me. Wake up! You're not supposed to shout at us, Pastor. They turned me down. I heard, a, I heard a preacher say one time, uh, Don, listen to this, I, you're, you're my friend. He said, uh, young man back there in the booth, don't you unshout me when I want to shout. <laughs> then he said something I would never say. He said, if you do it again, I'll come right through the wire and I'll choke you. <laughs> uh, no. I, I did what I did to get your attention. Hey, It's time for Christians to wake up because we have gotten very drowsy, very sleepy, and there's disaster on our doorstep. And it's going to affect not only us, it's going to affect those we love, it's going to affect those around us, it's going to affect those in our town, our nation. I do believe our nation is so sound asleep as far as spiritual things are concerned that unless God sends disaster on us, we're not going to wake up. You say, oh, I don't think it's that bad. I do. After all these years of ministry, I have come in the last several weeks to the place where I believe that God has called me, and you, you please don't misunderstand this, 
God has called me to be a prophet in our nation. Probably like most of the minor prophets who did not get to declare their message to the whole nation, but declared a message for the whole nation. That's probably the kind of prophet that I will be. But to, but to ring it out, pay attention. You say, oh, they were talking to Israel, and that's Old Testament. You're not supposed to bring that into the New Testament. Yeah, those are the people of God. And the prophets were sent mostly, not entirely, mostly to declare their message to the people of God. If you're in the bottom of the ship asleep, wake up today. You say, but it's too difficult, Don. If I wake up and if I... It's too difficult to repent. No, it's not difficult to repent. All it is is a necessity of you making a choice against your sin and turning to God. Oh, but I've tried that a hundred times before. The problem is you've not done it in God's strength and you've not done it with God's motivation. And you've done it hoping to get rid of the consequences rather than coming to God. And that's what Jonah needs to do. And listen to me, he needed three days and three nights in the belly of the fish to get there. And we're going to talk about that, Lord willing, next week. I'm really excited about being able to talk about this because I think this is one of the most incredible things that has ever happened in the history of the world. And we get to peek in on it. We get to see how it applies. We, we get to learn the things that we need to learn so that we can be drawn back toward God. Are you drifting today? Come back to God. Because if you choose to disobey, you can expect disaster. Would you join me in prayer? God, there are people in this congregation today who love you intensely. They are committed to you and walking with you. They are seeking to be everything that they ought to be for you each day. And I thank you for them. They stand as people before us, as examples to show what God is able to do when just common, ordinary people like all of us are in this room. Give ourselves completely to you and obey you. But Lord, there's every probability. Since you're an all-knowing God, you called me to preach this sermon at this time, in this place, knowing who was going to be here. And it is highly doubtful, Lord, I know this through experience that I am preaching totally to a congregation where everybody is following God with the intensity of relationship that says, I know God's call and I'm doing it. There are some Jonas in here today. They're trying to run away from you. They've got their Tarshish picked out believing that when they get to that place, they will be far enough away from you that you won't find them. But you will, because you are everywhere present. And in the meantime, Lord, as they are trying to run to their Tarshish, they, they don't realize that you have a disaster 
that's going to come their way. Because they are choosing against you. You'll allow it to happen. You'll fling out, you'll hurl out the great storm. That will keep getting more and more intense. Lord, I've had people who've stood in front of me and they've said to me, Oh, Pastor Don, I don't understand. I know that I've sinned, but why does it keep getting worse and worse? Why is it that it just seems like nothing good can happen in my life? And when I ask them, have you really repented? Well, no. Why not? Well, I would be embarrassed to admit that I had some things in my life that I needed to confess. Friend, wake up. The only way is in God's presence to lay it out before him and to say, I have sinned. And to allow his cleansing to renew you, to restore you. And so if there's someone here, a man, a woman, whatever age, older, middle-aged, young couple, God help them to come back to you today before they leave this place. And then, Lord, we have single people here. We have young people here. We have teenagers here. We even have boys and girls here. And if, if this describes them this morning, would you help them to come? In Jesus' name, amen. Now look up for a moment. If you are one of those people who's been in the bottom of a ship sleep, and God has gotten your attention today and you're ready to get awake, then I'm going to invite you as soon as we dismiss this service to come here to me and to say to me, you were talking to me this morning, and I need to get things right with God. I'll pray with you, or if for some reason it would be better for someone else to pray with you, we'll have that someone pray with you and help you get things restored. If there is someone here who doesn't even know Jesus as Savior, you need to come to know him. I I didn't really preach to those who are lost today, but Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. You can come and say, I need to be saved today. Some of the rest of you, you want to approach me, but now you're, you're terrified that everybody's going to think, oh, they must be one of those Jonah-type people. If you've got a question you want to ask me about or something that you want to say to me, please, by all means, come and talk to me because I do want to chat with you. This is my only opportunity to really get to know you well. So if you would like to or if you need to, please come. For those of you who need to come, Don't say, like I oftentimes have said when I'm playing Jonah, I'll do it when I get home. Can I tell you what I know? You won't. You say, oh, that's not fair to say. Well, I've had dozens of other people who have told me exactly the same thing. I said many times to God, but I didn't. Here's your opportunity. Take it before you are hurled over the side of the ship into what appears to be the biggest disaster of your life.
God bless you. It's been great to have you here today. I hope you haven't frozen to death while you've been here. Uh, At least now you can go home and get all bundled up in your woolies and watch to see whether the Cubs win or not. Um, I know you're mostly all football fans, but I think I'd sooner watch the Cubs than I would the Bears. (laughs) It's not that I'm a bear hater, it's just that... mm, There's a chance for more success. Please enjoy the rest of your day. Stand firm. God bless you, and I do love you.